Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're chatting with Maggie Cohn, co-showrunner of HBO Max's critically acclaimed true crime series, The Staircase, which I'm loving, by the way. Maggie is a leading voice in the true crime, drama, and biopic spaces with writing credits including Narcos Mexico and American Crime Story Versace. Her talents are well-suited for real-world storytelling because of her empathy and respect for the intricacies of life, especially women's lives. Hi, Maggie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Maggie. Thank you for having me. Hi. We feel so lucky to have you here with us. Um, And we, I think you're in production too, right? So we're... No, 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 not in production. Not in no. production. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I just look like it. I still no, haven't no. <laughs> recovered from production. <laughs> that's that's um, that's the truth. <laughs> um, so um, before we dive into our interview with Maggie, we're going to talk about our weeks or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. So Lorian's going to go first. Yes. So um, I have been talking a lot uh, on the episodes about all the uh, projects in development I have, and I got one more. So now I have, um, I think, five projects in development, all in different stages. And uh, tomorrow I go into production on the animation test for the show I have in active development with a network. So that's really exciting. So Uh, It's a little overwhelming. Like today, I have a deadline to deliver the pitch pages while I'm also working on the artwork for one of my projects. I have to jump over tomorrow to do the recording. At the end of the day, tomorrow I'm teaching a class. It's uh, it's a lot to juggle. I know I talk about this a lot on the show, but I... um, I'm in that place where it's really exciting and my brain is churning and super creative and lots of different kinds of product projects, but also it's that space of it's a lot of free work. Um, because I'm, I'm trying to generate something to sell, to hit. Right. And I love all the projects and I, and I'm taking one out to pitch next month, I think. Um, but you know, it's just this constant investment in myself and in my ideas and in the projects, but it does after a certain point get to be like, what am I doing? Is this sustainable? (laughs) You know, big picture. Um, and so it's, and I also have a ton of stuff going on in my personal life. Um, so it's that piece of, I need to figure out to carve out some space for myself where I'm not churning. Like last night I couldn't sleep because I'm in the middle of these pitch pages. So I was in that weird, I can't sleep, but I'm really sleepy solving problems in my story that actually make no sense, are not helpful and just stress me out. So it doesn't do any good to get up and write them down because they're, they're kind of in a sleepy dream state. Churn. You can't turn your brain off because I mean, and it's no. so normal to be in the, so many writers, even when, you know, quote unquote, you know, you've quote unquote made it, right? And I don't know, maybe Maggie, you aren't in this anymore, but there's always that time when you're like, shit, I got to get the next thing going. And that might take a couple of buckets moving and oh my God. And you have to do it so far out because those things end and it's not like tomorrow you get a job. Like then you got to go back and you got to pitch and you got to, it's just part of the writing process is those 
times that are fallow, i.e. the money isn't pouring in and yet they're not fallow at all because you're so generative to get the next thing. I don't know, Maggie, is that, how is that for you? I, I, well, level? I, I no, I really relate to that. Um, I think, uh, it, 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 you experience that, that idea of like, you know, wanting to have health insurance and have a paying job and these things are great. Um, but you also then, I think once you do reach a certain level, there are, you have to protect yourself from that sort of depression era mentality of, I have to be getting paid. I have to be, you know, commodifying or, you know, making, making money off of my writing, um, which you do have to do, but you also have to protect that creative space. Um, and I think that's where a lot of innovation occurs. Um, so it is a bit of a balancing act and it can be very, very scary um, because like you were saying, it's kind of like you're betting on yourself, but I'm imagining that the only way that you get anywhere in writing or in a creative endeavor is you initially have to bet on yourself. Um, and so it's kind of important to remember that philosophy throughout your career. Um, Absolutely. That you're worth it. <laughs> even when you get the notice, like so I you. did from the health, yeah. even when you get the notice from the WGA, like I did, which is health insurance is not happening. And I was like, what? I've been on this <laughs> giant project. And they're like, yeah, but you only get so much money towards that project. So if right. that project, if you don't get notes on time or it takes extra long to get the script right or whatever, and suddenly this has gone into the second year, it doesn't count. And I was like, yeah. what? Like, I, so, and it turns out there are special rules and stuff. You got to call them, blah, blah, blah. But it is, it's this like, oh, right. We're all, you still have to keep the family going, so to speak, yeah. the, the literal family, but also protect. I really like what you're saying is protect that creative space to be creative. Maggie, how was your week? My week has been good. I think I, I relate right now. It's kind of um, we with, with the staircase staircase, our, our schedule is really um, ambitious to say the least. Um, so we went from writing straight into prep, into production, into post-production. And the reason I'm saying that is that um, what happens is all the things in life that you put off tend to accumulate. So this week has been a lot of, um, you know, ch checking off boxes and kind of reminding myself to get as much done now when I have the time. Um, because there will be moments in your career where you, you would give anything for another couple hours in the day. Um, but it also adds some perspective. I think for me, um, what's interesting is you end up kind of getting, there's so much adrenaline from production that you might actually go into your normal life looking for things to, get, to keep that adrenaline level to sustain it. And it is a lot about like remembering to focus on the now and being like, it doesn't always have to feel that way. Um, so I guess that's my week trying to like check off some, some of the mundane life tasks that we need to do. And also not seeking out trouble to keep my adrenal glands going. <laughs> oh my God. That's so good. Not that's seeking so out me. more adrenaline. That is yeah, so no, me. I that. yeah. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm kind of in the same spot this week. Um, I don't have a hit show on television, but uh, I did turn in a, a draft. I, I did turn in a draft, so to speak. And uh, and uh, it's that moment of like, 
that you're so intense trying to get pages in, get them due, get them in, get them in and reworking them and reworking them and, and finding holes and it's just that intensity. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, um, for notes, I guess. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, what other thing can I possibly worry about to keep my adrenaline junkie yeah, going? Exactly. So of course I'm worried about what the notes are, which I'm trying really hard to just tell that part of my brain to relax because I think it's trying to protect me by saying, if I know every note they're going to say, I'll be okay. Or the worst part is that creative brain that's been churning and churning and churning like so much, right? Just going, going, going. And all of a sudden it stops. And you're like, so it just picks up something else to do. Like imagining the director calling you and saying, you know, this, this just doesn't work. I just, I just don't like it. I just, uh, that, you know, that imagination takes over and absolutely, starts, you know, horrible imaginings as Shakespeare used to call it of like everything that could go wrong. So I'm kind of in the same boat trying to rest, take a breath. It's okay that there's no meetings and zooming like for the rest of yep. the day. It's actually yeah. okay. You could, I don't know, go mother your children. <laughs> the, I mean, I was about to say the only thing you know for sure is that there will be notes. That's exactly. It. Yeah. <laughs> From there, it's, <laughs> it's all. And you know, it could be, you never know. It could be, the notes could be, thank you very much. We're going to yeah. go a different direction, get another writer, right. uh, whatever. And that happens all the time because, you know, especially on big movies, there's like yes. 17 writers. Like you're just waiting for that to happen in the movie business. Um, so it's just, yeah, I'm in the same spot of trying to compartmentalize in a healthy way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mentalize the notes over here and just relax a little bit. Um, all right, Maggie, let's get to you Mm -hmm. and some questions. I mean, we always start uh, with every guest, what our emerging writers really want to know. Um, you know, how did you break into the business? Um, that's a, that's a good question. And I'm sure it's, it's like there's no tried and true way um, other than if you want to be a writer, you have to write something at least at a minimum. Um, I think for me, I, I, I started working in entertainment right when I graduated from school um, and I majored in film and political science and I decided that film could kind of better encompass both of those passions. And um, so I moved to Los Angeles and I, I just worked my way up. Um, I started as an office PA um, and then I assisted a director and then, you know, it kind of went from there. Um, but I, I came to writing a little bit later. I'd always been more production editorial director oriented. And then I came to writing when I, I wrote a short film that I directed and um while I also was working with a director who I was kind of like, if he can do it this way, there's no reason that I can't as well. And so I kind of just threw my hat into the ring um, and started writing. And it took a while, but I will say that with each script, there was slightly more encouragement, I guess. So it always felt while I wasn't getting paid or um, getting health insurance, I there was some form of progress that I could kind of put my finger on, but then it did come to a point in my life where I felt um, like I I was going to have to make a decision about whether I kind of continued to pursue that didn't necessarily guarantee um, a certain amount of financial security or health insurance. And, um, And so I took a month off 
and moved to Austin and found like the cheapest Airbnb I could find in February. And it's very cold in Texas in February. I didn't know that like freezes. And um, I finished uh, a rewrite on a a spec pilot. um, And then I finished the first out first act of a film I had outlined prior to going to Austin. And that was kind of those two things were going to kind of be my last efforts. And then six months later, I had sold both of them. And so I was off. And so from there, it's just been fortunately pretty continual, um, the work, uh, which is great, um, but also presents other obstacles, kind of like what I was saying before, which is you know, I started with writing two specs and right now a lot of my career is based in IP. And so there's always like taking that risk on yourself and maybe returning to not getting paid to write something, but knowing that it's the thing that you actually need to write. So yeah, to keep the creative you, fire burning. Yeah. yeah when exactly. you made, what was it like when you made that decision, like to go rent that you know, I think all of us have that story of like, okay, here I go. I'm committing to this path of not safety and security anymore. So what, do you remember like the moment when you were like, I'm going to go do this? I'm trying to, I'm I'm trying to think if I remember the moment. Well, I, what I will say is I don't know if I remember the exact moment, but I know that I was so committed to the idea that even when the Airbnb I had initially rented fell through 24 hours before I like was going to drive to Austin from Los Angeles, I went and found another one immediately. So it was something that felt very important to me. And I think there are, at least for myself, there have been moments in my career where I felt ambiguous about something and it's been difficult to make a decision about how to approach it or whether to approach it. Um, but then there have been periods in my career where there's there's no choice and something will be said or something will be chosen. And th- it, this was one of those cases. I was going to take this month. I was going to write. I was going to read. I was going to be by myself. Well, I was going to be with my dog and by myself. And um, uh, it, it just, it worked. <laughs> um, and, you know, that was a luxury that I had to do. Um, you also had, right? You also had been working in the business Mm-hmm. So you had some contacts to give those scripts too. You'd already been writing scripts. I'm just bringing this up for our emerging writers yeah, who are like right. going to go get an Airbnb to write their very first script. And then what, like you, you scaffold, you did scaffolding to that moment, right? The right. scaffolding of, of getting of what you needed. Exactly. Right. And what I will say is that I almost immediately noticed the difference between those scripts that, I mean, I think it was a bit of a coincidence, but also because I worked so hard to get to that point um, in Austin that it wasn't that the magic of Austin somehow imbued these scripts with something. It was that I'd worked really hard. And then I was like, I'm going to get this done. And I think it's the combination, that, that alchemy. But when I gave script, when I did give those scripts to the contacts that you're referencing, just kind of people I'd met and honestly not people they were significant people, but they weren't, they weren't like, um, what's the say? like they didn't move door, you know, it's like, they weren't, they weren't huge, you know, people or, you know, perceived to be huge people in the industry. But when I gave them the scripts, their reception of it was so, I knew that I had something, which is they immediately said, what have you done this? Where have you gone with this? Is there anyone like, can I attack? Like the, the level of interest shifts and it's not, 
good job, keep going. It's how do I get it to be a part of this? Because I see the potential in it. And, and you, you'll know when that happens because people aren't going to let it go. Um, and so that was, that was an interesting experience because I gave the script to people I'd given other scripts to. And again, it was encouragement, but it wasn't, how do I be a part of this? How can I be a part that of this? That is it? such um, a great insight because when people are like, I need to be a part of this, that is so true. You're, yeah. you've, you've, you're now crossed over into the other right. side because everybody wants to be a part of a hit. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like, you do, it's kind of like until you see it happen, you wouldn't have necessarily known that that was kind of like the signifier. But then when it happens, you're like, Oh, <laughs> I want to I want to acknowledge, though, too, Maggie, I think a lot of our emerging writers and me included kind of have this misconception that, like, if you work in production and PA and assist a powerful director, like you'll the med, the doors will open up and like you'll be a writer then. But like you earned your spot by writing. And yeah. I just like I think it, it's so common. You know, Megan Laurie taught me this term shadow artist. So many of us get into the business because we want to, like, feel like we're creative by proxy or writing by proxy or assume that one of the powerful people we work with will magically knight us a writer and then we've made it. But I think it's important to debunk that. And I think you're kind of doing that on the show with us. Yeah, I mean, and that's also, if you want longevity, it can't be other people's perception of your work that's gonna keep you going. Um, it kind of has to be your relationship. I mean, and I'm saying this fully realizing that I am very much <laughs> still, <laughs> committed to understanding how people perceive my work and would love to somehow have some not indifference, but kind of like a loftier, but um, that's the relationship you need to preserve. Um, and I, I am, I'm, I, I mean, I, I, I honestly think I started, I think I became a paid writer when I was 34, which is late. I mean, it's not late life, but like, it's not, 22 or 25 like I had lived some experiences up until that point and so my I think my my like you know my 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 perception of myself was maybe a bit further along than if like you're a new writer and you get in at 25 I think maybe there could be the risk of um placing too much emphasis on what other people how other people see you um and it's That's just really important that you it's important to be able to decide who you are before you yeah. before you hear what other people think of you. So, yeah, you that's a great way of putting put it. those things side by side and be like, is that true? Is that who I am? Because yeah. you get to decide who you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is tricky because we also crave uh, external validation. And so much of our work is do you want to be attached? Do you love it? Right. Do you think it's going to be a hit? Do you want to give me money for it? It's right. this constant questioning of, you know, we need it. So it's yeah. hard to sort of pull back and be like, no, this is who I am. Right. Right. Yeah. Hey everyone, so the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13 is out. And you know, the question's going around, is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot and I wanna see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0 where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. 
So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft. And it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. Well, let's talk about this beautiful show, <clears throat> The Staircase, which, um, you know, honestly, it's one of those shows that I start watching and then my husband walks in the room and sits down. I could be halfway through the pilot or whatever. And then he's like, you could not watch any of this without me. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> the pilot was so like grabbed you and so subtly grabbed you. And it, it wasn't, you know, quote unquote flash. And it was so subtle and beautiful um, uh, uh, to set the tone in, of, of this show. And I don't want to talk about later episodes because we don't want to give things away. Um, but, uh, and that's up to you, Maggie, what you want to talk about. But um, so your co-showrunner on the show, mm -hmm. you know, this is clearly coming from a doc and a heavily researched project. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about that, about, you know, just what is it like? Let's just take the broadest question. When you're working with real life uh, uh, incident or right. story, translating that over. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I think one of the, one of the, you know, misconceptions that we kind of address almost immediately is that this is an adaptation of something, um, which it's not. Um, and, and, um, Antonio Campos wrote the pilot and he never intended it for, for it to be an adaptation. Um, and what's interesting is that this, this, this season of television that we've created, it falls underneath the true crime genre, but really what it's about is investigating the idea of whether or not a crime even occurred and then further, what is truth? And so it's actually trying to speculate um, and you know, create some discourse around the idea of true crime that will know the truth about any crime and in this specific case, was there even a crime? Um, and so for us, it was always a bit of an exercise in that in trying to explore that hypothesis of the idea that, you know, or that question rather, like, is there a single truth, multiple truths? Um, are there are there multiple truths? Like, what is perspective? And honestly that was kind of like the greater exercise as opposed to replicating something, replicating reality, replicating a character. And, you know, those were really important conversations to have right off the bat with anyone that was creatively involved in the project was clearing up that perhaps that misperception of the fact that this was in some way an adaptation or we were trying to replicate um, reality. Because if, if, 
we didn't clear that up right away. You would have a bunch of department heads trying to create things to look exactly the way they did. Um, and we knew that not only was that an impossible task, but not one that we wanted to accomplish anyway. So we always left it up to our actors to how much they wanted to, you know, investigate their character that they were playing their real life character. And then for us, we never wanted to fabricate pieces of evidence, um, which I kind of like view as plot points, like kind of like these indisputable things that occurred, but rather we want, we did want to kind of replicate those in a way that they, that they won't, weren't so unfamiliar that it would create a, a lack of legitimacy. Um, but rather kind of create a foundation for us to, again, kind of explore that thesis of if we're all getting the same, seeing the same thing, why isn't every viewer having the same experience? And what it comes down to is when we look at something, somebody, when we, you know, Antonio, myself, when we're telling you a story, we're doing, that's our role as storytellers, but that's missing this fundamental other half, which is the backstory of the viewer and what they're bringing to the story that we're telling. And so that was actually the greatest concept of the show. And, um, you know, I think actually at the, whenever this, the, the last episode is airing on this Thursday, June 9th. And so, you know, it, it, it's, we, we are not attempting to solve anything other than the mystery of like, can, is anything fully true or untrue? And um, to what degree our experiences shape the stories that we hear? Um, because again, if a story is just told in one way, then why aren't we all experiencing it the same way? Um, that is so fascinating because you can really feel that right in the pilot. You can really feel that um, rudder of the show, at the, and it's done so so well in the writing and the directing of how you're how you guys are creating that central question about truth and point of view. And um, I just want to highlight it for our, especially our emerging listeners, but for any writer because we all forget every time we have to go do it again. <laughs> that when people talk about what's the concept of your show. Mm -hmm. they're not they're not asking you to say we're basing on a true life event about this guy and this happened and that happened and nobody knows did he do it or not no they're asking for this deeper thinking what is your approach what are you interested right. in what are you going to center this show on and what you guys have chosen to center the show on is so rich and so such an interesting unanswerable in the best kind of narrative way question right like that it's so, it's such a great driver and so complex and yet you, and you're pulling it off. Um, I just, I love that as the center of a show. I just think it's, it's fantastic. And um, I, yeah, I think it's worth emphasizing that like while I'm articulating it here, hopefully with some degree of professionalism, it takes a long time <laughs> to figure out the, the, the way to communicate your idea that it makes it like almost edible. Like, you and but I will say it's very helpful whether you're communicating with an executive at a studio or you know ultimately with a viewer. It's also really helpful when you're producing something and you're on set because a lot of the decisions that you're making real time you can go in a multiple multiple directions. And if you know what the thesis of your show is or 
what you're trying to create, like what, what's the point, why are you doing it? That can help divine out which is the best approach. And when you're tired okay. and you're stressed and you're facing, you know, a, a variety of questions, if you don't have that, it just makes it more difficult. Um, and so I just, I kind of wanted to, you know, because for me to be like, well, you know, what's the point of being able to just, I mean, it's one thing to be able to like spout off like a log line or something like that. But if you know what something's fundamentally about, it actually will help you make it later on. Um, Absolutely. And, and I also think that um, that thesis, what a wonderful world word to use that thesis. I, I also hear you saying, it's not like you wrote your first draft and there it was, and it was, yeah. you could articulate it in two sentences. Like I, right. I keep telling people like, that's why you write so many drafts because yeah. sometimes you just have an impulse or a, you just love something, but you don't know why. And it takes drafts. Sometimes it takes talking over with your friends, be that Lorian for me or my manager where they're starting to reflect back in questions. So it, but it's so important. I guess I just want to say it's so important to go for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes writers, pros and emerging get so excited about the content, the, the, the larger plot stuff. Right. That we for, that we lose this and that this is the money. This is the gold underneath that you got to go for. And it helps you de- determine what plot is most important, because, again, uh, you know, the other thing that you're doing, especially, I think, when you're show running, because you're, you know, producing over the co- very extended time period and when it comes to limited series, it's almost as though you're making eight movies, um, especially one when it's happening in different time frames. <laughs> so the costumes are different. The set locations have to be different, even if they existed before. Um, and so what it helps is you, you always have to lose something. Like you're never going to somehow magically be on schedule and under budget. Um, and actually, I'd love to hear someone's story about that because <laughs> I've yet to see it. <laughs> and I certainly have a lot to learn about it. Um, so the point being is then you have to lose scenes and that means you have to lose some plot. And so then again, it's like, what scenes are fundamental to expressing this thesis? Like you don't want to lose anything and you want to have as much to play with in the editing suite as you possibly can. But that's just not the way the world works. And so when you have to start cutting things and you have to start making that decision, if you have that thing to fall back on and you can test the scene against that, the idea of what you want to create, the scene, the scenes, if all else is equal between them, one of them might more explicitly communicate to that idea. And as such, it kind of makes that one worth protecting, you know, worth spending the money on that location. Um, you know, worth spending more time on that scene. And then the other one kind of, you, you know, cross your fingers and hope that the cut isn't too deep. (laughs) You can feel it watching the show that that's, that you guys were doing that. You can feel that depth. Can you talk a little bit about that balance, the creative and the producer, the show running side and sort of navigating that in real time, in the room, on set, in editing, the choices? Super yeah, easy question, I mean, right? Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, this is, <laughs> admittedly, it's my first time show running, um, but I have had other experiences um, on set and, you know, working with directors where you are kind of making awesome similar decisions. But um, I think what really helped me was all those years that I put in as an office PA or an assistant, because I already had um, a, a pretty solid knowledge of like 
how one creates a schedule, um, a shooting schedule. And, um, you know, what does crossboarding look like? Why, you know, there, there's, there is um, a very practical nature to making movies and TV that is really unsexy. And, <laughs> but it's also what you need. And it's like, I mean, it's funny because I've also studied like government agencies a lot for some of the work I've done and FEMA in particular. And I was like, if you put a film crew and an AD on a natural disaster, like we would solve this no problem. Like we'd be like, water's going to get here. This schedule's going to get, you're going to do this by this. This is how, oh, that didn't work. Okay. We're going to take, and that's how you get something made. And um, all those production meetings and all of like, vehicle meetings about cars and extras and background i mean it is meeting after meeting after meeting and sometimes when you're in it especially in prep and especially on zoom you're like can we just build in 10 minutes for me to have like a piece of food and go to the bathroom and you kind of get this sense of like oh this isn't what it's about but then when you're on set, you're like, this is absolutely what it's about. Because now, since I've answered all of those questions already, now I can focus on the fires that we hadn't anticipated and hopefully put those out in a way that still, that doesn't compromise what we're trying to do. Um, and so it really is this, you are, you're, you're a, a bit of a leader, I guess. I mean, definitely, but you also, the way in which you choose to lead positions you as either somebody that's accessible or inaccessible or somebody whose ideas are somehow more valuable because of who you are. And I think with Antonio and myself, it was really important to avoid that sort of system, which is people being afraid to tell you bad news or be able or being afraid to offer a different approach to something um, for fear that, you know, it wouldn't be welcomed. Um, I don't actually know if I've answered your question at this point. Oh, you but, did. Okay. okay. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it just tells our writers if you, especially if you want to be in television, taking notes is just training for those more intense moments yeah. on set of giving, getting notes from the different departments and that this yep. didn't work and that you have to be creatively ready to go. Okay. I hear yeah. you. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm yelling inside. But I'm not going to yep. yell at you in your face. Yep. And here's the creative solution to that. And animation can be very much like that too. When mm -hmm. you get these groups together and suddenly it's not working and the screening is coming and everybody's looking like, what do we do? And you, that, that so it's funny because we have people on the TSL site sometimes talking about getting notes and, and it, that's part of building a muscle, man. It's, it's not yeah. just getting notes for a project. Yeah, because the people who are giving you notes are also, they're noting your project, but what you're doing, even though it's an original idea, ultimately, isn't so extraordinarily different than what's been done before, that those people don't have experience that isn't worth sharing. And their notes are coming from how, something within the project, but also from, again, their experience and their backstory. And they're like, I'd like to avoid this from happening again. And so it's like, right what you know it can be like oh this is so personal I'm so upset but and like why don't they understand it? it's like well what am I not seeing <laughs> that they've seen because they're dealing with all sorts of shows <laughs> and so it's also um, yeah it's also like the rewriting process so I just yeah. I ran this show over the last summer god was it last summer how was it already June of 2022 
I don't, what's happening? But there was, someone asked me when you delivered the scripts, was that it for rewrites? And I was like, oh no, because of all those things that came up on set, like, oh, this thing we planned, is just not going to work. I have to come up with a new one and rewrite that whole segment. And it was all the way through post. You're still, you're still rewriting. And then it, and then it goes on air and you're like, okay, now it's done. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think, right. (laughs) Yes. I'm not going to, no notes, no notes, but it's just, it's constant through the whole TV process. I'm curious, Maggie, a lot of your work, I want to be careful with the word adaptation because I think you're very smart to delineate your take on the staircase, right? It's not an adaptation. It's your take on something that happened. Um, But I think like, that I'm sure that you're highly considerate of like the ethical implications of telling stories that are based on things that happened. And a lot of our writers are interested in adaptation or at least maybe a better word would be telling this, telling stories that have a basis in history. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of like ethical considerations are you taking in when you're deciding to make these decisions? And what do you think our emerging writers should be considering when they make similar decisions in their own work? Um, I think you take, I mean, to put it very simply, you take everything into consideration um, and it's not easy. Um, And I think being defensive doesn't get you far, um, but protecting your, the right to write, your right to create media about stories and about nonfiction is really important. Um, and it's never going to feel fully right or good, but that you're, you're the person that, you know, you, you want to be able to sleep at night. So what, how do you, how do you protect that? Um, and so there were, there were many conversations, whether it was between Antonio and myself, in the writer's room between executives. Um, and, you know, ultimately it's not about hurting anyone. It's about trying to help other people see life in a different way. Um, and I think of course that's an, a huge generalization because, you know, uh, real life events really run the gamut of <laughs> like, what they can be about as it turns out, because life is really uh, complicated. Um, So, but I will also say that in terms of um, like delineating fiction and nonfiction, I've written a lot of, you know, straight up fiction, but it has as much nonfiction in it than some of my nonfiction does. So it is, I would say that the amount of, I, I put as much, almost as much research into my, you know, fictional work as I do my nonfiction, um, because that's how you make good characters. And that's ultimately what everything is. It's a character. And again, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier was I do, I mean, the staircase is kind of really investigating that this thesis, but it is something that I, I, I take with, and I, I write with this approach, which is, I am a storyteller, but I, I don't control how my story is received because I don't know the backstory that someone else is bringing to my story. And that is a fundamental part of any equation when it comes to creating art, in my opinion. And it also is important for like kind of just understanding life generally about what, how people develop perspectives on something. Um, and I think the more that we can create space for those conversations, 
art gets better and life gets better. Um, and so, you know, this was a project that really let me explore that, but it's something that I have always approached my work with. Um, so I just got lucky that there was the combination of those two with the staircase. I love that. I also, I don't know if it was luck because I think we are, we are drawn towards the projects that right, speak right. to our interior <laughs> thematics of our lives. And sure. that's why, you know, when I was a producer and I was working for a famous actress and I'd be like, why is this writer turning this down? It's Jodie Foster. And because I didn't really understand right. that you can only write what you connect to and what you just yeah. intuitively, you know, can feel, hear the rumblings of that that your own rudder, your own thesis, right? I just love that. Um, in the in the staircase, I loved how you guys really put Kathleen Peterson in more of the center of the story. Like she's she's not just the victim. That she, right. you're very much exploring with her as well. Can you talk about that creative process and that choice? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know, this is a story about, it's about grief and it's about trauma and it's about grief and trauma caused by loss. And I think, especially in a narrative, it's um, important to understand what that loss looks like. And um, because otherwise the impact isn't as strong and we, or isn't as fully realized rather. Um, and so in, in, you know, creating Kathleen Peterson, a lot of the way the way that we approached creating that character was, you know, you can kind of almost define her by the, the way that people reacted to her absence. So it's almost like the boundary of a person is kind of shaped by everyone that was surrounding them and their experience with her not being there. Um, then of course you want to then realize who she was and have give her an interior life, which was important to us. It was important to us that she have a catharsis, um, which we have in episode seven, um, and that we give her some agency over this um, this grand lie of, or, you know, ultimately it was the grand lie that you know whether or not Kathleen knew about Michael's um, infidelity and the nature of it, and so we needed to create a character that wasn't, we didn't want to put her on a pedestal. And um, we also really wanted to kind of, but while, you know, giving life to her in a way that felt respectful. And so it, it, it I mean, admittedly, I imbued her with a lot of myself as did the other writers in the room. And um, I'm sure, and, you know, Tony Collette brought a lot of her experiences to playing the role, which she can speak to more better than I could. Um, but that's how a character is made. Um, it, and again, what was really great about Kathleen approaching it that way meant that we weren't shaping a character around plot points. It was around emotion and like presence and then absence because you have both of those things happening at the same time because we have, or in the same episode because we have the concurrent timelines. So it's like you shape the character again by her not being there and then her being very much there. And like, mm -hmm. what's that look like? And again, it's kind of like a different sort of unique formula. The other thing with her character is that, um, like, my, like I've kind of said this before, but it's like the Titanic, like, well, we don't know exactly what happened that night. We know that Kathleen didn't survive it. Um, and so 
it was kind of about giving her these moments before the, that night occurs, even though we've seen it already happen, that makes us think like, like, like in what way could we have avoided this? Like, how do you avoid these things? And um, I think ultimately, like, regardless of what happened, it could have been avoided if more conversations had been had. Um, and I think that that also is kind of a bit of a lesson from it is that, you know, life is difficult and it is complicated. And um, I think we often recognize that something is wrong, but we're afraid to talk about it. And so <laughs> start talking folks. <laughs> I, it's so amazing. I can see why just listening to you talk and the depth of your thinking and creativity and your approach to the characters why you got these amazing actors on your show you know i mean these actors are at the top of their game and they get to pick what they want to be in and i can completely understand why they chose to work with you because um that kind of depth of thinking is what a, an actor is going to be drawn to yeah i mean i as i it was said like we had such an expedited schedule that i think and i don't want to speak for antonio but i think when it came to casting, um, we got, we were, you know, we were so honored and lucky to have these, these actors of this, you know, whether it's this caliber or, you know, even our, our, like the actors that were local hires that, you know, is smaller roles, but very significant roles. Like we were just lucky that the people who were attracted to, to the project were attracted to it, but it's only kind of now that I am celebrating that. Um, and, and I think it is because it isn't a single person, it's the alchemy and that um, that is something you can hope for and, but you never fully know how that's gonna come across in the execution. And so again, that's, that's where, where art is really exciting and where, you know, you, you can write towards a certain actor. In this case, we didn't necessarily always do that, but it, when you see the actor take your words and make it something and it, it's more than you could have anticipated in the you just, it's a really special feeling. <laughs> Amazing. It, you can feel so. it watching it, the alchemy of all of those actors on every level. Just as a practical question for our emerging writers, would you, do you have any opinions on like whether or not you should be specking like IP or stories based on true crime? Like is, I don't know if you would know about like the marketplace, like if that's advised mm. or, I mean, I think what I'm hearing you say is write whatever you feel like your internal thesis is because that's going to be your best samples anyway. But I don't know. I'd be curious. I, yeah, I certainly, I wouldn't avoid it. Um, but what I, because ultimately I think you know, again, this is for a lawyer to parse, but um, I, if something exists in public domain, you can write about it. But really what's going to attract people to your work is if you have something different to say. Um, and that, that needs to exist, you know, or be motivated by the material. Um, so it's kind of always going to be a combination of both, you know, it's always going to be your original take on something or your original thesis about it, or like a new way to approach it or a new understanding of what it's offering us. So ultimately, again, this 
nonfiction thing that you'd be, you know, specking quickly becomes fiction because you're imbuing it with the thing that you you're bringing to the story. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, so I guess that's a very super long important. way of saying I'd encourage people to do it. <laughs> yeah, um, if that's important. what speaks to them. <laughs> yeah, to work towards articulating that thesis that again, will not come in a draft or two necessarily, no. but to, arti- <laughs> to drive yourself towards that, you know, getting that up into your conscious brain that you can say it in a sentence or two. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. We always end with three questions. So um, uh, indulge us with three more quick questions. Okay. Um, The first is what brings you the most joy when it comes to your work? I think that has changed. It it always changes. I think um, right now, what is is bringing me a lot of joy is um, I get to do a lot of reading right now. And so that's bringing a lot of joy to me personally, (laughs) not writing, I guess, doing the legwork for writing. (laughs) Awesome. So the next question is what pisses you off about your work? Uh, About my job or my work, like about, or either. Let's say Um, pick. Writing, work, job. Oh, okay. I think what frustrates me the most is when I when I, when I know for sure that a scene isn't functioning at optimal, it is optimal level and, um, but I'm getting away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. We got to let everyone else see what a piece of shit this is. We could have a whole episode on this. We could have a whole episode on that response. I love it. I love it. That inner critic is not fun. Um, (laughs) Maggie, if you could be remembered for one scene that you've written, what would it be? Oh, that's, damn, that's hard. Um, I, oh, wow. Uh, I don't know. I think the scene (laughs) scene right now and, um, well, it's a sequence, so I'm cheating, but I think, um, the scene where, you know, Kathleen gets to speak her piece in the Chinese restaurant in episode seven and then takes us back into the house. And um, for me, that's um, a personal triumph and a character triumph. Um, and it feels good. It's a, a combination of those things. And maybe that's a good way to be remembered. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Maggie, for being on the show today. Thank and you the for season fin- me. Yes, and thank you so much. And the season finale of The Staircase airs tonight. So make sure you tune in. Keep an eye out for Maggie's upcoming movie, Lou, starring Allison Janney and Journey Smollett, which will be dropping on Netflix in 2023. <laughs> thank you so much, Maggie. Thank you so much for joining us. It really was such a profound uh it's always fun to talk to people um and i hope that i hope it helps as people find it helpful <laughs> it will be and if you haven't yet please check out our facebook community for additional support and guidance and remember you are not alone and keep writing thanks for tuning in to the screenwriting life we love our community and we want to get to know you even better 
join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.